Hi everyone, this is the Cryptid Journalist, though by now you can call me CJ as you know. Welcome to the third episode of my new podcast, Cryptid Cryptid, read all about it. This is where I bring you stories of the more obscure cryptid sightings throughout U.S. history by researching real newspaper accounts. I look at the incident and present all the details, usually dictated by eyewitnesses from that time period. The program focuses on American cryptids, but sometimes we may lean into stories of the unexplained and paranormal, such as UFOs, things like Mothman and Bigfoot, and even talking cats. So episode three of Cryptid Cryptid Read All About It is going to focus on the incredulous story of the Van Meter Visitor. This cryptid event actually dates back to the fall of 1903, when several residents of the small town of Van Meter, Iowa, were terrified by a winged specter. Labeled the Van Meter Visitor, this being was described as being a pterodactyl-looking creature, and dozens of residents in this small rural town claimed to have seen it over the course of five nights, from September through the 1st of October of 1903. Among them, several of Van Meter's most upstanding and prominent citizens were involved. They all had the same story, a half-human, half-animal creature with giant bat wings soaring above the community, hopping around from building to building. During the five nights of this cryptid encounter, everyone testified to a nearly nine-foot-tall, hideous, scary creature, one that flew above Van Meter, Iowa, the streets and buildings, and hopped from roof to roof with incredible speed. It was accompanied with a horrendous and lasting odor. It was further claimed that bolts of high-intensity light came from the horn in its forehead. Several residents shot the creature with no or little effect. It went around unhurt. The town took definitive action, and the creature afterwards was never seen again. Looking back at the beginning of the story, among the people who witnessed this strange creature were some of the most important members of the community in the town. The doctor, a banker, a couple of businessmen, one being the owner of the local hardware store, as well as many other residents just in town. This wasn't a planned hoax or an April Fool's joke made by a bunch of pranksters for general entertainment. The information from the Des Moines Register and sources from the community and families and the accounts of the people involved make it clear that it's convincing that something extremely odd happened in this small Iowa town over that five-night period in 1903. Researching the newspapers and other sources, a detailed timeline can be constructed. The Van Meter incident took place over a period of five nights in the early fall, starting the morning of Tuesday, September 29th, and lasting through October 3rd, 1903. On Tuesday, sometime after midnight, well-restricted businessman U.G. Griffith observed an unusual light beam moving around the downtown rooftops of Van Meter. He initially guessed it might be some type of criminal action, someone looking for a place to rob. He approached it as quiet as he could to figure out exactly what was going on, but in a short time, it hopped to another rooftop and just vanished into thin air. The following night around the same time, the local physician, Dr. Alcott, had retired for the night. He slept in a room above his business office. Alcott's sleep was suddenly disrupted by an intense beam of light coming through the window directly into his face and eyes. Running outside, armed with a gun, 
he was shocked to find the light was coming from a tall, man-sized creature with wings just like a bat. More amazing, the light seemed to be coming from a blunted horde right in the creature's forehead. Without thinking, he just started shooting at that creature at close range, and it appeared to have no effect whatsoever. Noting his efforts failed to stop the alarming sight, he quickly ran off to save himself. The third night, Clarence Dunn, the local banker, ran into the visitor. Concerned after hearing stories from the prior two evenings, Dunn felt the need to protect the bank, thinking maybe advance witness included a potential robbery and maybe a bunch of criminals trying to break in, just casing out the area. It was in this vein that he armed himself with a loaded shotgun, ready for service. Again, and consistent with the other stories, around 1 a.m. he overheard an odd noise, as if someone was choking. Before he could reach and react, a blinding beam of light came through the light right into his face. The light flashed off and then back as if searching for something, going back and forth. It eventually settled back on him, directly into his face. Dunn could barely make out the silhouette of the creature between the flashes. He aimed and fired his shotgun at what he saw right through the bank's window. Poof! Just like before, the creature vanished. More incredible, he observed several bizarre sets of large three-toed footprints outside the bank in the morning. Supposedly, he made several plaster casts as a record of this event. Well, as one can imagine, by the next day, word had spread, and like most small towns, everybody was talking about this strange and terrifying monster and what it had been doing each night. People wanted to know, was it real? Was it a joke? Did they need to protect their family? Again, later that evening, that O.V. White, owner of the local hardware store, had his run-in with the creature. He was woken suddenly by an unfamiliar noise. It sounded like the scraping of metal coming just outside his living space, located in the second story of his downtown hardware store, right in the heart of Van Meter on Main Street. Quickly grabbing a weapon, he moved in the direction of this strange grating noise, straight to the window. He immediately located the creature standing on the crossbeam of a nearby utility pole. Now, White was known throughout the area as an expert with the rifle, and his personal account makes it clear that he took careful aim and then fired right on the creature. Again, nothing happened except to draw the attention of whatever it was, who in turn let loose the telltale odor that the other witnesses had sworn to. Accounts say that the smell was so disgusting that he actually was overwhelmed and passed out. Now, white shots woke the neighbors, especially that of Sidney Gregg, who immediately ran outside to see what was going on. Startled and confused, he observed this creature climb down from the telephone pole. He later described the action very much as a parrot using its beak to power its way down a stick. Reaching the ground, the thing straightened up to what White claimed was at least the height of eight foot tall. Its forehead light was extremely bright and seemed to scan the area, like the previous nights, as if it was searching for something. It paused briefly, looked around, and then took off in the direction of an old coal mine on the edge of town. The final night, the residents could hear odd sounds from the coal mine on the outskirts of town. It had been abandoned for a long time at this point. Many people were convinced the noise was caused by the devil itself, and there was an army of demons coming for him. 
Some brave souls staked out the mine that evening and sounded the alarm that they had spotted not just one, but two such creatures emerging from the shaft. The second one was about half the size of the first. They came out, paused, and then took off into the night. Needless to say, a large group of available armed men quickly gathered at the mine's opening to try to catch the creatures when they came back, hopefully to surprise them. Historical accounts speak to the enormous amount of firepower. Everybody carried a gun or something to try to destroy these creatures with, enough to win a battle or a war. Needless to say that when the creatures returned shortly before sunrise, the crowd opened fire and force on the creature. Again, to everyone's surprise, both of these things were not affected in any way by the onslaught, but responded again with that horrendous odor before creeping back into the mine. Well, the residents followed up the next day by doing the thing they thought best, barricading the mine, pushing it in with dirt, rocks, anything they could find, the idea being to trap the creatures inside. The word then and now was that the creatures disappeared forever and were never seen again. So what in the world was this Van Meter visitor? Could such a crazy series of eyewitness accounts be one complete hoax? Could the town of Van Meter be having fun at the expense of the rest of the nation or the world? Could the Des Moines Register be making things up to try to get circulation? The fascinating details focus on specific but uncommon characteristics, even among cryptids. A horn that gave out an intense beam of light that could be moved in a scanning manner? Remember, this was 1903. The first flashlight wasn't invented until 1899. But I rather doubt several residents of Van Meter, Iowa, were running around with a brand new invention, trying to scare everyone. Also, what's up with the metallic noise, scraping, grating, and other sounds heard by many coming from the coal mine? And what about its superpower of being immune to massive amounts of gunfire, being shot at by even the best of marksmen in the town, with no effect? And then there's that consistent report of the horrendous odor given off when confronted. So bad it caused at least one person to pass out. Now many U.S. cryptids throughout history have smelled bad or even soared to the skies around with bat-like wings. But most of these came later in history in North America, such as the Mothman, Bigfoot, and others. Again, the Van Meter visitor and his friend never cared enough to show themselves again. And why should they? They didn't hurt anybody. And beyond some annoying light shining in people's eyes and sleep disturbance among the local residents, it was really quite harmless, especially considering the townspeople made them the focus of the local shooting gallery and then covered them with tons of dirt and rocks and sealed them into the ground. I guess it's in consideration of such facts that Van Meter, Iowa now honors this 1903 visitation with a big festival every year on the anniversary of events since 2013. Beginning the end of September, attendees can enjoy ghost walks, expert speakers, food, drink, and like-minded people to talk to. A real hoot, I'm thinking. So there is that. So now it's up to my listeners to try to feel and see through these eyewitness accounts what they believe. Again, was it a crazy hoax? I think that'd be awful hard to pull off. Did the Des Moines Register make all this up? Try to get some more subscribers. I think that's a tough decision to reach out and, and make uh, 120 years later. It'd be tough. 
And people have actually gone in and researched the library archives in Van Meter and found these accounts on record. So it's up to my listener. What do you think? Do you believe in the Van Meter visitor? It's never been seen again. Can we dig those things up? I don't know. I don't think they're willing to take a look at that. The old abandoned coal mine's still there. But the festival is bringing notice to this more than ever. There's been a good book written about this, and there's lots of accounts on the web. You guys can all look this up and find more information. However, I always like taking this podcast, as I've mentioned before, from eyewitness accounts as put forth in U.S. newspapers. Now, we all know that five eyewitness accounts from five different people on a certain event are all going to be a little different. But I'd like to think that gleaning through the different information, and when I research, I look at as much as I can, I try to give you the honest and real story of what happened, or at least what people felt it was through their eyes. So again, it's up to you whether you believe in this or not. But I always believe that the greatest science still left out there is that of the unknown and the paranormal. I want to thank everyone for listening. Please like the podcast and feel free to send any comments or ideas for future shows. My email, just as it's spelled one word, cryptidjournalist at gmail.com. I welcome all information from you all. Please send in, like I said, suggestions for future shows, comments, and just what you think. It's always great to be able to read things from your fans. Uh, I hope to get the next podcast up in a good amount of time. I'm obviously subject to all the human interaction and, and scenarios that could delay people, like medical issues for the past month and being sick and family members that were sick. So hopefully we can get this thing on track, try to get a podcast out about once every seven to 10 days. So again, thank you for listening. Have a great day. And remember, cryptid, cryptid, read all about it.